What is up, bosses? Before we kick off this episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor this week. They are one of our longest-running supporters of iLab. I'm talking about Indeed.com. Now, Indeed can be a founder's right-hand man because they're going to find you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire all at Indeed. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. I'm going to tell you even more about Indeed during the break, but if you want to go check them out now, you just got to head over to Indeed.com slash iLab. And if you go there, we're going to hook you up with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post. Get a $75 credit when you head over to Indeed.com com slash ilab that's i l a b offer valid through december 31st terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed welcome to the invest like a boss podcast i'm sam marks and i'm johnny fd we're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors business owners and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash Welcome back, bosses, to episode 207. I'm just arrived in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and got Johnny on the other side of the world. Not quite the other side of the world, but a good third of the way over back in, in the Ukraine. How you doing, Johnny? I am doing very good. My body's aching. I'm sleeping on the floor of my apartment last night, and I'm currently sitting inside of a Pusada Hada, which is kind of like a semi-fast food restaurant here in Kiev, because I have no furniture. Oh my gosh. So was this another one of those kind of for the experience or your place maybe just wasn't ready to accommodate you and you decided to skimp out on a hotel and just uh, rough it for the night? A little bit of both. Actually, today I'm supposed to be moving in my couch, my bed, literally after this call. So tonight I should be able to sleep on it. But just last night, I just kind of jumped the gun and I was like, you know what? I just want to I just want to be there. I just want to, I actually wanted to experience it for one night. I, I almost kind of feel mm-hmm. like with, when you own your first place, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know what it is. It's like a bonding experience to sleep on the floor with no furniture. <laughs> well, buddy, I'll give you a bonding experience. You ready for it? Yes. After I just spent six months in Barcelona bonding with my place and furnishing it and uh, sleeping in all the different bedrooms, making it my own, get on a flight and fly over to Thailand to visit my other home here. And um, the first day I'm here, just sitting back on the balcony, relaxing, listening to the birds sing. And I get like three emails and a bunch of WhatsApps in a row saying urgent, urgent. And like all these audio messages from like my lawyer, my cleaner, my contractor. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> what is this? Oh, my God. And uh, the first word I see when I when I open up the email is Robar, R-O-B-A-R, which is, means like a ro- like you got robbed. Basically. Oh, my God. <laughs> So somehow still trying to figure out the details, but what um, I left and then my parents were staying there, they left. And then the place, someone actually climbed up like three stories on the back terrace, broke the back door open and then just ransacked my place, <sighs> took all the personal belongings, took my $4,000 bike, uh, my scooter. 
I'm, I'm not sure if they took all my wine yet. I, I decided like if they took the wine, I'm going to, I'm going after them. I got to, I'm going to like hire like a head hunter and figure out who did it. If it's not, if they didn't touch the wine, I'm going to let it go. <laughs> Chalk it up oh. to a lesson, a hard lesson learned, but man, I'll tell you what, it's so violating knowing that someone was in your house. And the thing is, there's only one way out once you're in and that's going mm-hmm. through the front door. You go up the back terrace, you can't get down that back terrace. You jumped, you break your legs, you're jumping, you know, 20 feet down onto pavement. So they know once they go up, that place better be empty because if not, they only have one out they have to go all the way through the house to the front door. And that to me is like the worrying and the alarming bit is like, you got to have some serious cojones to do that. Oh man. I'm so sorry, Sam, that dude, that's like, that's literally my biggest nightmare. I'm sorry. You went through that. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those things, Johnny, like, I have to say, it sucks, but it's the, it's the reality that it's a money problem. If I didn't have the money to, to buy the place and not be there and just let it sit empty, I wouldn't have the problem. So at the end of the day, it's material stuff, it's lessons learned, it sucks, but got to move on from it. You know, that is a very big of you. Uh, still sucks that happened, but it's very big of you to be in a position mentally and financially where you can just let it go. Yeah. Kind of stains my view of Barcelona though, you know, and you don't want to live amongst crooks. And that's always been my biggest, the, the biggest issue I had with Barcelona is like, there's tons of pickpocketing. The police do nothing about it. Kevin Shea, who came to visit uh, when I was over there, he and all of his buddies got all their stuff stolen right off like their backs. And now that they've been in my house, uh, I don't know, man, might have to reevaluate things. Yeah. I, I, actually, honestly, that's a big reason why I never wanted to live in Spain. I, I never liked Barcelona. I don't even like going to places like Italy. I don't want to go to Egypt. You know, I'll still go, Yeah, but I just, I'm, I'm always weary of, you know, connecting too much. And because of that, yeah. it's a shame, you know, it's a, it's a, it's not just financial because there's plenty of, you know, uh, countries that are more poor, but those people still have values. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thailand's a great example of that. You know, I never, I've never had anything stolen in Thailand ever. Not a, I've dropped my wallet and I've had someone in the streets grab the wallet and run up to me and chase me down to give it back to me. So, um, reality check, but you know what, that's actually a great segue into this week's episode, which is going to be, I think, a. uh, a very important episode for us to to start wrapping our heads around and that's NFTs. And with this, this home robbery, um, you know, I had a bunch of stuff stolen from my house. And one of the things that I was planning on bringing over to my place was like my jewelry um, and some, some famous paintings that my parents had that were like, you know, they didn't, weren't hanging them up and they're like, you know, they'd be so much better in Barcelona. And those were like, those paintings are probably, you know, I don't know, they're probably worth up, upwards of $50,000. And if I had had them up, they're gone. Right. So I think actually that starts to bring in a case for what we're going to talk about on this, this week's episode, which are our NFTs, something that for the most part, can't be stolen. They could certainly be lost, but they can't be stolen, Johnny. I don't know. I mean, didn't you suffer through Mongots? Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a storage yeah. issue then. Okay. So, so we actually are going to get into the, the, the storage kind of issue. That's one of the questions I want to ask uh, these guys mm-hmm. on today's episode, but I feel like digital assets on one hand, they are much safer as in like, you know, for example, 
my US dollar is not under my my couch. It's not, you know, in my sofa. It's in a bank. So it's zeros and ones. It can be hanged, you know, it can be hacked. The the banks could close, you know, who knows what could happen. Mm-hmm. But I would still trust that more than having the money in my actual apartment. One of the reasons why there are so many house robberies here in Ukraine is so many people keep cash in their house. And knock on wood, I don't want to ever get my place robbed, but if someone does, yeah. the only thing they can steal is my 55-inch TV, which good luck trying to carry that outside because I have no, I'll, I'll never carry any cash. I don't have expensive watches. I don't have anything. So, you know, they can, you know, basically take, you know, furniture, but that, you know, yeah. but- And they in, won't. Yeah, and they won't. And then most robberies, literally, even, you know, middle-class uh, Ukrainians get robbed because they have thousands of dollars in cash or jewelry. Yeah. And that's actually what they're, they're really looking for, which is funny. You mentioned your 55 inch TV because they didn't take my 55 inch TV, but they took all this like a little personal crap. And what I realized is if they're robbing the place at three in the morning and they're walking down the street or even two blocks to get a car and they're walking two people holding a 55 inch TV, someone's going to call the police on them. If they're walking with a bag on their back full of little personal stuff or cash, no one's going to bother them. Right. Yeah. So I think that they are always looking for kind of the quick, easy wins that don't, don't alarm people when they exit the unit. Yeah, exactly. So as far as, you know, NFTs are involved, I do believe in the use case and the future of some kind of, you know, digital asset like this. I don't know if we're there yet, I don't know. This is early in technology. Uh, actually, you know, a lot of people don't even really know what an NFT is, right? Because we, it's all over the news now. We hear, you know, these things being sold for sometimes millions of dollars. You know, if you look it up, it means non-fungible token, which you know makes it even more confusing. Should we just kind of quickly go over what an NFT actually is? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think just the basics starting off with the difference in an FT and an NFT. FT being what most cryptocurrencies are built on and FT, NFT being what most of these unique um, digital assets are, are utilizing at this point. Yeah. So, and it's, it's funny, that's actually one of the questions uh, I'm going to be asking today's guest is why is a non-fungible token, which literally means you know, worthless, not a value, non-tangible yeah. asset. Mm-hmm. Why are they being sold for more than you know, some cryptocurrencies nowadays? Uh, so today we're going to have Ben Elbaz. He's the head of uh, ecosystems for the Hashkey Group. And they're going to be kind of going over a lot of the both basics, but also a little bit more of the high level um the questions that people ha- have had about NFTs and the possibility investing in them. And then yep. me and Sam are going to talk about our personal thoughts uh, on NFTs on the outro. So make sure you guys stay for that. No people want to hear about NFTs. It's got a lot of hype going on right now. And we need to know if that hype is real and how to invest in it. If there is opportunities, which we know there are, because these pieces of digital garbage are selling for millions of dollars. So let's get into this week's episode and let's chat on the outro, Johnny. Fantastic. This week's episode of Invest Like a Boss is sponsored by Indeed.com. A good leader knows their limits. They know how to delegate. They know where they're needed, when they're needed. When it comes to hiring, Indeed can be a founder's right-hand man. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire 
all in one place. You see, Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed makes it easier for star applicants to shine because they have over 135 assessment tests, anything from cooking to coding and everywhere in between. And we're going to get you started off right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash iLab. You'll get a $75 credit just for heading over to indeed.com slash iLab. That's indeed.com slash I-L-A-B. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Great. Yeah. Thanks for the invite. Quite excited to share, share uh, you know, perspectives and opinions in the space. Yeah, that's awesome. So before we get started, can you just kind of quickly go over how you got started uh, in this space and also a little bit about HashKey Group? Yeah, sure, 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 sure. So HashKey Group, we're here, here out in uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, and, and Japan, uh, kind of established out here for, uh, I think, close to four years now. I, I originally got started in the space about, about, about five years ago um, when I was, uh, I was doing my master's at Stanford and put together with a few other friends, the, the largest uh, you know, blockchain working group at the university. So we're kind of looking at applications of blockchain beyond Bitcoin. And you know, from that experience, kind of got, got connected to you know, the Asia you know, crypto and blockchain community and kind of came out here and started full time uh, back then. Okay, awesome. So I realized that in the last you know, maybe year or so, NFTs have gotten so popular. It's just, you know, it's all over you know, uh, the media now. It's, it's something that has it actually existed you know, prior to a year or two ago, or is it actually a brand new technology? Yeah, no, it's quite it's quite interesting, right? Like, you know, I think this year there's been a lot of you know a lot of headlines around NFTs, specifically because you have the you know the large price tags, right? There was the sixty nine million dollar um, you know Beeple artwork that was sold, uh, and I think that really that really turned a lot of heads, right? You know, I think when you put a huge million dollar number on some of these assets, right, people start paying attention, um, and I think that was one of those milestones. But you know, actually prior prior to that, right, if you go back in time. Uh, you know, a, f- a few years, right? Like there was actually NFTs kind of started with, uh, you know, started during, during the realm of like early years of Ethereum and like experimentation with this, with this product called, called CryptoKitties, right? It's essentially, you know, you can kind of breed your own, you know, breed your own digital cats. Uh, and those were, you know, those were unique, right? So they're, they utilized NFT technology kind of stored in the Ethereum blockchain and all, all that stuff, right? And uh, I think that was kind of like the, you know, the early days. So it's, it's been, it's been, um, you know, it's been around for a while. I just think this year it's really, you know, it's really accelerated right? as the, as the technology has grown and like use, use cases have grown, people have started to, you know, pay a little more close attention. So one interesting thing is, you know, the word, you know, NFT is basically the exact opposite of a, a cryptocurrency, like, you know, something that inherently has a value and NFT inherently you know, has no value, non fungible token. Why are they so valuable? Mm-mm. No, I think it's a, I think it's a good question, right? Like, and I think uh, you know, people are like really some people in the space are like scratching their heads, like why why am I going to spend millions of dollars on you know like a digital JPEG and, and all this stuff, right? Like, where where's the actually value value come from? And I think it's really I think it's really asset specific and it's really project specific, right? Like, if you look if you look now, right, because because you had some of these high price tag uh, projects. 
uh, you know, for example, you know, the, the Beeple artwork, and then you've got, you know, board, board, a yacht club, and then you've got, um, you know, crypto punks. Some of these have been really successful just in terms of people really wanting these, these scarce assets. Uh, and it's really bred like a lot of copycat projects, right? So, you know, a lot of people will try to shill, you know, the next best, you know, greatest, you know, valuable NFT project. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of noise, first of all, right? So I don't think it's, I don't think it's appropriate to say like all NFTs are, are valuable. Um, but the ones that are valuable, they're valuable because, uh, you know, people, you know, it's like a belief, right? There's a group of people, there's a community who believe that, hey, this digital thing is worth something. And I feel that having it gives me some type of social status. And the, I think one of the key, you know, one of the other key enablers to that is uh, like the fact that NFTs use blockchain it allows them to it allows them to like implement something called it allows them to use utilize something called digital scarcity right which is what mm. you see in bitcoin right okay. you can say bitcoin is yeah, bitcoin is scarce um and you really use blockchain to kind of create that create that property right so you know scarce supply you know community ban kind of creates creates value in that in that regard Oh, that's interesting. So right now there has been a few kind of very popular uh, NFTs um, or use cases that use NFTs. Can you kind of go over some of them that you know, maybe everyone has heard of? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, you know, there's a bunch of different, I mean, I think there's one, you know, uh, you know, you know, I think when you look at a lot of the games, right? Like, so I think it's, it's just, there's just so much to cover. I'll just do my best to kind of go, go, go one by one. Right. Like, so Looking at the the gaming use case first, uh, which has most recently you know attracted a lot of attention, um, in games like the way in which these NFTs are used is they're used for uh, you know they're they're used to represent like kind of unique scarce in game items. So to give a specific example of how something like that works, you know you look at one of the most like one of the most popular and well known. Uh, like GameFi or, or gaming, um, you know, gaming platforms, Axie Infinity, right? If you look mm -hmm. at how uh, Axie Infinity works, it's actually quite, it's actually quite interesting, right? It combines, it's a game, right? It, like maybe you start from the game level, right? It's a game where, you know, you download it on your phone and basically, you know, to, you know, to join the, the purpose of the game is breeding these, these creatures, kind of breeding these, these digital collectibles, which then, which you can then use to like battle and kind of gain more points and kind of level up your, your, you know, your characters over, over time. So it's like within that, um, you know, it's within, it's within that genre of gaming. And uh, I think the key thing within it is they have, uh, you know, some fungible tokens, which are like, you know, utilize a kind of like in-game, a type of in-game currency. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the, the NFT tokens are used for like those characters that I just talked about. Right. So if you think mm -hmm. about in a game where, where you're breeding some type of unique character or you're like, you're leveling up some type of unique character uh, like that character is going to have like unique attributes that allow it to like fight better or have like better defense or all these different, you know, all these different properties. And um, what you do like, like with an NFT, right. Basically the way the technology works is like you take, kind of the data about that character, right? Like, you know, you have a strength of 10 and like a defense level of, of five or six. Uh, and then, you know, you also have the owner of that, right? Like kind of like blockchain based owner. Um, and you can kind of, you know, you kind of write all that stuff into the NFT, you get saved to the blockchain. Uh, and then, you know, basically anyone, anyone online can kind of in real time, basically go and verify, okay, this, this particular address, this particular like blockchain wallet, you know, owns, owns this asset, you know, this asset is, you know, it has these attributes and, um, 
yeah, it can be, it can be traded. So, I mean, that's one, one use case is definitely in the, in the gaming space to allow some of these in-game items to be, you know, to kind of be transferable and stuff like that. Yeah. So one of the kind of, uh, long you know long lasting games out there magic the gathering right it's i think it still uh, makes you know 40 million dollars a month in revenue and uh companies like blizzard um you know they have come out with their own kind of online versions called like hearthstone and they're all also making you know you know 500 million dollars a year so lots of money in there and these you know cards and unique items are definitely popular in there do you think these companies will eventually start using nft technology uh you know can they or you know do you think just more like a, like a copycat from the ground up would, would come up and take over that space? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a good question. Right. And I was, I was thinking about, uh, you know, we, we thought long and hard about this, right. Which is like, when are some of the big gaming companies going to, going to take notice and, and do something. And I think maybe at like, um, maybe at like a, like a, a strategy level, right. I think it is, it's actually might be a little bit hard for some of these companies to do that. Right. You look at, I think it was valve, for example, like valve went and like, you know, blocked a lot of these blockchain-based games and stuff like that. Um, and I think the, the, some of these incumbents, if you call them that, I think they might suffer from, you know, something called, uh, you know, innovator's dilemma problem, right? Which is that actually the business model that they're using right now is actually much different than business model for, for some of these, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of like blockchain-based gaming projects. So for example, like what I mean by that specifically is like, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, let's just say, let's take an example of something like, uh, like Hearthstone, right. Uh, from, from Blizzard and that particular game, you know, you have, you know, you have collectible cards and basically kind of the way like it's like, it's kind of like a closed feedback loop for, uh, you know, for, for that game maker, right. Which is like users come in, they, you know, they have to spend a certain amount of money to, you know, to get to a certain level of status. And then you, you know, use that status and you battle to a certain, to a certain point of time, you get experience points and then you use that to like, acquire more and more cards, better and better cards. Um, and like, once you get, you know, once you get even, even better cards, you can then, you know, you can then use that to kind of increase your status in the game. Right. And that all that, all that activity basically serves the game maker by, by, by locking the user in that ecosystem continually. Right. So that's why I call it kind of like a fees, like a closed feedback loop. Whereas, uh, you know, if you look at something like an Axie infinity, um, you know, or other types of, you know, while it's not like a, while it's not like a card collectibles game, right. It, is, it does share some similar, uh, you know, some similar properties. Like if you look at that game, right. It's basically, it's, it's almost like an open feedback loop where, uh, you know, users come into the ecosystem and they, they participate, you know, it's just the whole like play to earn model, which I can talk about if that, if that's interesting, right. Where users come in, you know, they, they play a little bit, they earn this in-game currency uh, and then they use that to buy the characters which they can use the battle, um, but then those characters can actually be, can be, you know, can be transferred, right? They can be bought and sold. Uh, mm-hmm. That in-game currency is actually, you know, can be sold outside of the ecosystem, right? So I think, mm. uh, so I think the key thing there is like there's less, there's less uh, user lock-in in some of these blockchain NFT-based approaches to gaming, which will be, you know, I think for for a company like Blizzard or some of the other big game makers to uh, to actually take, you know, actually make a big play in this space, I think they'll have to get their head around like. How do they adjust their their business strategy to like uh, you know allow users to to engage in this way while while you know making sure everyone just doesn't kind of leave the platform once they when you know, once they get to a certain status? So I think it's yeah I think it's I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, that actually makes sense because I, I remember I mean even ten years ago you know way before NFTs were popular, 
you know, games like um, Diablo or you know, World of Warcraft, people were already selling characters basically that they have leveled up or selling, you know, their entire account, you know, for, you know, actual, you know, fiat currency or actually like US dollars. Do you think NFTs have kind of just made that, you know, more accessible uh, to people and also, you know, um, trackable? Yeah. No, it's a good point, right? I think in the, you know, if you call it the old world, right? The old world of gaming, right? You get, you get to a certain, you know, your character gets to a certain level of status and you, know, you can still, you know, you can still sell that asset in the, in the, in the old world. I think we're, we're NFTs and like blockchain based. I think, I think we call it, you know, one, one phrase for all of this is, is GameFi. So it's mm-hmm. like kind of like, you know, adding in financial elements, making like embedding financial transactions, embedding financial transactability into, into games is kind of what this whole, what the whole space is about. Um, and like when you compare it to the old world of gaming, uh, yes, in both cases, you can, you know, you can buy and sell assets. But in the blockchain-based uh, version of it, you know, it, it just makes it so much easier, right? And because the whole process of actually buying and selling assets and uh, is is much easier, given the fact that you're using blockchain-based wallets and all this different stuff, like it definitely enhances the liquidity and like you know size size of these markets, and uh, you know much makes it much easier for the user to actually you know kind of make those transactions uh, off-platform. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So I can see how in you know online gaming uh, and, and kind of what we talked about, there is this use case. What other ways do you see you know, NFTs incorporated into the, the metaverse in the future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of cool things. Maybe I'll talk, I'll talk in general on a few and then I'll dig in on one, one particular use case, right? So just going down the line, like some other, some other use cases of NFTs are uh, digital artwork. Uh, you've also got di- digital land, uh, like digital in-game items, which I just kind of talked about. Uh, you've got like digital audio. So you've got projects like Audius that are trying to make it so that, you know, ownership of uh, like digital audio tracks can be, can be tracked and verified uh, to, you know, to online owners via like blockchain addresses. Um, and then you also like outside of, I think maybe just going back a step, actually, I think what not too many people realize is that the whole space around NFTs, it actually, uh, there's actually two distinct types of assets that you can, you know, tokenize or, or NFT eyes, if, if, you, if you will. And one type is like digital native assets. So that's everything that I just described, like, you know, assets that start their life as a, you know, in digital form, right? Digital artwork, you know, digital print, or, you know, like JPEGs and stuff like that. Digital land, land that exists in a game. Uh, some of these in-game items, digital audio. Um, but then there's actually a different subset, which are assets that are, that start their life as phys- physical in form, right? So you could take physical based assets, like, like real land, real estate, you know, biological assets, you know, things like whiskey we've seen, you can actually represent those assets as, as NFTs as well. Uh, and then kind of like that whole space is around, you know, taking a liquid, you know, physical real world assets and making, making them, uh, making them liquid. So uh, yeah. And then, and then in the back of the digital space, right. You've also got, you know, uh, you know, the PFP space, right. That, you know, the kind of the, the personal kind of the profile profile picture, uh, areas. Right. So if you look at like crypto punks, for example, a lot of people on, on Twitter and, you know, a lot of different, you know, a lot of different platforms were, you know, kind of changing, were, you know, spending lots of, or still are spending lots of money to, to, to acquire avatars. Um, and, you know, these kind of unique avatars, something like crypto punks, like it's, it's a little bit of like social signal, uh, signaling, right? Like I have enough ether or I have enough money to buy this scarce digital asset. You can verify that it's actually me. Uh, who owns it? Um, and you know, it, it has. You know, it's like kind of online social communities that are driving some of uh, 
some of these use cases. And uh, like going into one specific, uh, you know, example of how NFTs are being utilized in kind of the metaverse and, you know, a little bit of a, you know, also a little bit of a gaming app is you've got something called, called Sandbox, which is, which is quite interesting, uh, quite an interesting application. So in, in that particular use case, like it, it's, it's quite interesting because you have this, you know, you have this online virtual environment, right? You have this online world and, and in this world you have, you know, you have assets and you have land, right? There's different, you know, different types of things you can acquire. And then you also have an in-game currency, uh, which is called sand. And then there's like there's other multiple in-game currencies. And I think what, what's interesting is as I like dive in, is, you know, as I think about this, like dive into it a little bit is, you know, when you look at a lot of these applications, whether they're games or other things or other metaverse applications, there's actually, when you implement it into an app or a game, generally speaking, people are using combinations of both fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens to actually power, uh, you know, drive the economy. So, uh, you know, one, one point there is like, you know, if you distinguish between why people use fungible tokens versus non-fungible tokens, uh, you know, when you think about it for something like an in-game currency, the, the fungible token model actually makes a lot more sense because fungible tokens are essentially, it's like, you know, they're all the same, right? So if you had an example, you know, if you think about a world where uh, like all money was different, it would actually make it very difficult to exchange and like, you know, liquidity be, would be fragmented across all these different assets. So generally speaking, these games, they, you know, in these in kind of these online economies, the, you know, the, the online you know, like the online currency is generally a fungible token, right? Because it basically makes it easier for everyone to use one one common asset to transact. And then some of the unique assets within that game, like, so for example, in Sandbox, there are, you know, you can use that in-game currency to to buy these unique digital assets that are generated within that, um, you know, within that virtual environment, right? So within that virtual environment, you know, creators can actually kind of kind of like log in and create, you know, like digital voxel artwork, for example, right? Uh, and then those, because each of those like digital voxel artworks are unique, they get, you know, they get represented as an NFT uh, in that in that system. Um, and then there's other types of things like land. Jake, land is a very unique asset. You can buy in that um, in that economy, and, and that that's an NFT as well. So um, it's quite it's quite interesting when you when you dig deeper into what's happening. Yeah, it definitely sounds like there's a lot of possibilities, you know, in the future, uh, incorporating NFTs. But right now, I mean, I I, I literally tried uh, as an experiment to create my own NFT just out of this, um, you know, this photo I had made. It was, you know, the Last Supper. I decided, you know, it'd be funny if I, you know, photoshopped in some um, some fast food, you know, on there. And it was, you know, it's pretty cool. And then I uploaded it to my, my Facebook and every single person said, you should make this into an NFT. And I thought, okay, let me try this out. And then I realized... There is a you know four hundred dollar gas fee you know which you know uh, for for those who aren't familiar it, it's basically a fee I don't you know but they they call it gas just to you know basically create an account um, and create an FT this wasn't the case you know just a few months ago right why are gas fees so high are they going to go down like what's what's kind of the future of this situation yeah yeah and that's, that's that's a good point right it's like you know people talk about all the you know, all the advantages and all the promise and some of like the, you know, the practical uh, roadblocks generally, generally get, generally get lost. Right. So like the way, the way that works is like, so for example, if you want to like issue or trade or mint an NFT uh, and, it, and it has to, and it, and it's on the Ethereum blockchain and it has to utilize the Ethereum blockchain currently like gas fees on, on Ethereum are, are quite 
at high because everyone's using that network, right? It's the, it's the most popular, it's the most popular smart contract platform, right? So it gets a lot of demand in the, in the processing transactions. And because there's all that demand, like the gas fees are high. So what that has led to, uh, fortunately, that has led to a number of, uh, of new and different, um, really good blockchain platforms out there that are competing with Ethereum, right? So what you've seen actually, so Ethereum still uh, by far is like one of the most widely used, um, you know, blockchains for, you know, for, uh, for issuing NFTs and trading them and things like that. But you've also seen the, the rise of other, uh, it, yeah, I mean, I could get into the technical details a little bit, but you've got these other kind of, mm, I would call them like plugins to Ethereum. You know, they're called layer two in the industry, but things like, uh, Polygon is, is a way is like it's it's a like a side network to Ethereum that allows you to issue and trade and with, with lower with lower gas fees. Uh, and uh, actually, we at Hashkey uh, a few weeks ago at, at Hong Kong FinTech Week, we actually issued our own kind of commemorative NFT uh, that used the Polygon network because we like we we face that same issue, right? We're looking at hey, you know, we're we're participating in this. Um, you know, at this event, we'd like to issue kind of a, like a commemorative NFT to everyone who kind of comes to the booth, uh, be something nice and special. And we're, you know, we'll issue like 5,000 of them, but, you know, do we really want to pay, as you mentioned, right? 100, 200 to $300 uh, every time, you know, this, this, this NFT gets transferred into someone's wallet, right? We don't. So we, we looked at as like, when we looked at the space, like there were a number of different uh, ways to reduce costs, right? So we, we looked at uh, Polygon, which is, you know, another way to issue. And there's a lot of instructions and tutorials online that kind of help can help take you through that. There's other, also other uh, blockchain networks like, like Solana, for example, that have, um, that have risen to, to kind of, you know, say that we, we don't charge as many gas fees because the, the net, the blockchain is like built in a different way. So uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of the way we've thought about reducing those gas fees and other, you know, market participants are doing the same. Oh, that's interesting. So one of the articles I read on uh, hashkey.com, your, your website was about uh, the four types of NFT storage. So with cryptocurrency, normally goes into like a, a wallet. There's, you know, different ways to store it, store it. But NFT, I guess, is a little bit similar. What are the four types and kind of what are the pros and cons of each? Yeah, I think when we, you know, writing that and kind of looking at the space, like we, you know, we wrote about the four types of, of NFT storage. I think you know, to bring it up like a little bit of a higher level, I think, I think there's maybe, you know, potentially easier way to describe uh, kind of the storage, the storage environment for NFTs, right? So I think one thing to note is that there's basically, you have to think about like, what, what are you storing when it comes to an NFT, right? So there's different, different things to unpack here. So when you, when you look at an NFT, I mean, it's basically uh, the way I think about it is there's several key components. One is the, the metadata for, for whatever digital asset that, that you want to store is, and then there's also kind of like the the ownership uh, the ownership data, uh, and then the third. So there's, there's I'm breaking into three categories, right? One would be kind of the metadata. The second would be the uh, the ownership information, the ownership data, and then the third would be like any transfer rules. So uh, it's like the way it works is like you can actually there's there's once you have that there, you can make a decision to store some of the metadata off chain or you can store it off uh, on chain. So um, and, and just to help out some people, like I wish there was like a like a, a visual here, right? But it's but it's a podcast, so you have to you have to bear with me. But when you think about like uh, if you if you think about like going to a, a web page on like OpenSea or something that's like an NFT marketplace, when you look at that web page, you'll see a number of different information, right? You'll see uh, information about who owns it. So who owns it is actually 
uh, it's tagged as like a blockchain address. So it's like an on-chain wallet. So you can see, okay, this person who owns this on-chain wallet owns this, you know, owns this item. And then, you know, if it is like, say for example, it's a piece of art, uh, there may be like different attributes of that artwork, right? So it might be like, this is, you know, color red, there's only 50 of these in, 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 you know, that have been, that have been produced. It's produced by this, this author, whatever. Right. Um, and you know, there's other metadata that you have, which is, for example, if it's a digital piece of artwork, what you want to ask your question, what you want to ask yourself is like, how is the NFT like referencing that digital piece of artwork? Right. Um, you know, simply said, it's just like it, 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 it saves, it stores a link to that, uh, you know, to that digital file, right? So if you say, for example, if it's like a digital picture, let's just say it's like a JPEG, for example, uh, you know, if you think about browsing the web, right? Like there's always like a URL to any, you know, it's like a URL endpoint to any, um, like any JPEG. So, uh, so in, the, in that NFT, it'll basically specify the link to, you know, to that digital asset, right? So, uh, and that's all the meta, that's all the, the metadata. So within that link, so this is the other part of the thing is like, that 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 file right the question is like so if you link to that file where's that file stored so uh you know anyone who set up a web page in the past knows that hey like if i want to have pictures on my website like i save this picture to a server and then you know there's like a link you know there's basically like a path to that uh you know to that saved file um in the case of nfts you actually have a choice you can do that you can do it that way right you could save that file to to you know, like a centralized server or uh, and this is what a majority of projects are doing is like, you can save that file to something called uh, decentralized storage, uh, more specifically I IFPS. So IFPS is this protocol that allows you to save files to, you know, to decentralized servers. So, um, you know, the people, uh, and that kind of the way I IFPS works is uh, IPFS, sorry. Uh, the way the, the way that it works is you can kind of ensure that uh, once that file has been uh, has been saved to a particular location. Uh, you can sh you can create like a tamper tamper resistance to it, right? So we don't want you don't what you don't want to happen is like you save you create this NFT, you know you 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 embed this link to a file at some location, uh, and then everyone's happy, right? But then two days later you go and like you know change that you know change that file to some other file. No one ever knows, right? So but the way some decentralized uh, storage protocols work, like IPFS, is once you kind of save that file to that location and then you create the link from it, if you go and try to switch that file out for some other file, uh, like it'll, you know, it's easy to detect, right? That's the kind of the tamper resistant property uh, of using decentralized storage, right? So if you bring this back to what this all means for, for NFTs is a, uh, like, you know, NFTs as a package, it's like, it has metadata that, uh, that describes like, what are the attributes of this particular digital asset? Like, where is it stored? Um, you know, and then it also has properties to make sure that, you know, the, the information about where it's stored can't be, can't be easily uh, manipulated. Um, so that's that part. And then there's also the part of the uh, who owns it. So also who owns it because the, because the, uh, the ownership of that NFT gets, um, gets recorded on blockchain. So basically on the, on, on the blockchain, there's, there's a record to say that, you know, address X owns this, owns this particular asset. Uh, and because of the way and like the nature, yeah, the way in which blockchains work, that's also uh, tamper resistant as well. Like you like someone else uh, in this world can't go easily. They can't go in and say, Oh, I'm going to change this ownership from person X to person uh, to person Y. Right. Okay. So that gives, yeah, that gives a level of confidence to that. So I'll have a, a, 
this photo in the show notes of this episode, because definitely I think for a lot of people, it's going to be over their heads. Um, but kind of an easy way to think of it is, you know, the on, on the two spectrums, right? So the, the four categories were on-chain, there's uh, centralized storage, there's decentralized, and there's de- decentralized repairable storage. So the on-chain would be, I guess, the um, CryptoPunks on the Ethereum network itself. And then on the, the opposite spectrum, the centralized storage would be like Axie Infinity, where it sounds like it's kind of similar to, you know, if your character, I guess, was stored on the Blizzard network. Am I correct with that or am I missing something? No, I think that's, I think that's a fair, you know, I think that's a fair, uh, kind of a fair, fair interpretation. Yeah. Okay. And I guess my, my biggest question then is kind of right now, it, it seems like, NFTs is very prolific. You know, everyone's talking about it, but do you think it's going to, do you think it's going to evolve? Like, I guess my question is, you know, two years ago, no one had ever heard of NFTs. Now it's, you know, all the hype. Is your kind of, you know, idea of NFTs going to be, you know, a technology that is going to just, uh, is going to, the hype will die down, but it'll stick around? Or what do you kind of think of the, the future of NFTs in general? I, I mean, hundred percent. If you look at where the the smart money is going, right? So I mean, there's like you know, there, there's the there's the smart money and there's and there's the dumb money, right? And um, like I think like on the smart money, right? I think it was a combination of both, like kind of institutional venture capital firms and just like you know smart people online, right? Like there, you know, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of great information and discussions coming in, you know, communities on Twitter, communities on Discord, right? So people who really uh, are believers in the space and kind of see what the potential of the technology are. Uh, are make, making pretty, you know, very significant bets into into both NFT platforms, NFT marketplaces, uh, you know, gaming companies that are that are integrating these these types of components into their games. Um, and then, you know, obviously you have people who are just kind of, you know, investing to follow, you know, fo- follow the crowd, right? It's not always dumb money. Sometimes that can be uh, that can be smart. But I think I think the trend is definitely in, um, you know, is going in this direction. I think um, one one challenge with NFTs, right? And this goes back to the point around. The difference between fungible tokens and, and non-fungible tokens is that when you look at a fungible token, right? Because uh, you know, because all the assets are unique, it basically allows like the liquidity for that asset to be kind of be centralized and pooled into one asset. Right? So there's a good market depth and there's low spreads, generally speaking, for you know for for, for for fungible assets. For a non-fungible token, right? There is one one challenge is that like kind of because they're all unique. Uh, you know, it can potentially like fragment liquidity and like market depth across a number of different assets. So what that means, like if an investor or a buyer, for example, is like if you buy into one of these assets and it's like, it's $10, um, you know, the, you know, if you want to sell the next day, right, the spread might be, you know, you know, the next buying, the nice, the next bid for that, for that asset might be like, you know, $7 or $6, right? So um, I think there is a little bit of challenge for, for beginners in this space when it comes to, okay, everyone's profiting from these how can I get in this space? But you, you do need to be weary and understand what you're buying, right? And generally speaking, a lot of these things tend to be better uh, across a longer time horizon because of the uh, because of the high execution costs that are related to like you know uh, lack of liquidity in, in, in some some of these assets. So uh, I think I think it's a long term space, right? Because if you think about like if you think about what's actually being done, is you're actually able to create a, a very like mathematically verifiable. Uh, scarcity for some type of digital asset, right? So and that creates value. So if you if you if you come into a game or you come into some metaverse uh, economy, 
and you're, you're actually investing your time in this thing and you receive this item uh, and you think that the item has value and uh, you're able to actually prove that the item can't be duplicated and that you're, you're the only sole owner of that, of, of that item, that gives you a little bit more confidence in the value of it. You know, and when you trade it to another party, they have confidence in the value of it. Um, so I think, I think it's, you know, that, that, that property itself, I think will drive, drive the space to be, you know, kind of successful over time. I could definitely see that. I mean, I, I think the future is definitely unknown, uh, but the technology seems solid. I'm, I'm curious, I guess, the final wrap-up question is, how can the HashKey group help? What do, you, what do you guys actually do over there? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So HashKey is a uh, basically a digital asset financial services firm headquartered in, in, in Hong Kong. So we have a number of different uh, lines of business. One line of business is, uh, is venture capital. So, you know, we invest in, in high-quality projects and ideas. Another line of business is, is market infrastructure. So we're actually, uh, you know, applying for, for licenses in Hong Kong for, for running trading platforms for digital assets, including utility tokens, you know, NFTs and, and security tokens, kind of the gamut of, of all these different token types. We're also applying for licenses in, in, in Singapore. So I think, you know, you look at, you know, also within the hash key, uh, you know, group of different, uh, you know, finance, uh, digital asset services, we also uh, have staking services, so we offer that to you know into a lot of different businesses and institutions out uh, out, out in Asia. So I think in terms of how uh, you know how people can engage with us, I mean they're basically you know at the user level over the next uh, you know two to three months we'll be we'll be launching uh, some new platforms. So kind of keep keep an eye on the space for for that, and then also kind of at the at the project level, right? If you're an issuer or someone with a, you know an idea, you develop it to a certain level of uh, uh, of maturity. Right, potentially there's some opportunities for um, you know, for for investments or other other types of strategic collaborations. Okay, yeah, definitely interesting. I mean, it, it's funny because I I was asking um, a friend who's you know very into the NFT space, but more kind of as a a user. Um, have, have they heard of Hashkey? And the, the only thing he said was they're wearing suits. It, you know, and, and I guess they're referring to your um, about about us page. <laughs> like I, I I guess that's the um, you know. Like, you know, crypto itself, but also NFT space, it, it really is, it kind of reminds me of the early days of, uh, you know, the internet startups where everybody was in a garage, you know, Amazon.com started, you know, literally in a garage. And that was kind of how, you know, they got respect is, you know, you know, grinding, mm. hustling, you know, small, you know, three person team drinking, you know, Red Bulls and uh, Monster Energy drinks, just, you know, coding all night. And now, you know, obviously, you know, these, these companies have, you know, these corporate headquarters and, you know, these nice Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. um, you know, like literal spaceship, you know, <laughs> headquarters. What are your, what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of that statement, you know, of, you know, yeah. the- what's the culture? Yeah. yeah no, it's the culture, the culture of the space. Right. I think the way, the way that we look at it, right. Like I mean, me personally, right. I come from like my early days, I was in finance and then I went into technology for, for a number of different years. I spent time in Silicon Valley and then back in, you know, back in Asia, right? So I've, I've been on, I've been on both sides. And I think our perspective is that, you know, I, I think different market participants play, play different roles are playing different roles to help the space grow. Right. So you have like, you know, the hobbyists, you have the coders and you have the hackers who are really doing a lot of innovative work um, that we, you know, we spend a lot of time in research and, you know, we, we invest, we support, you know, support these guys at the same time, like our, like our belief is that, in order to really get this space to mainstream, it requires, you know, you know, on one side, it requires like mainstream users to actually be using, uh, using, using these products, but it also requires like mainstream and like our belief is like it requires mainstream pools of capital, whether those are institutions, you know, financial institutions or other, 
other large institutions to actually like understand what is going on. So, you know, I think there's a little bit of, I think the role that we're trying to play is almost like a bridge to that, uh, you know, to that space of the economy to really kind of help those guys understand, Hey, this is actually what the potential in the technology and space is. Like, it's not just a bunch of noise. Like it's not just a bunch of scammers, like get into this space, get involved, uh, you know, put some capital in, um, be, otherwise, you know, you, otherwise you'll, you'll be missing out on potentially what's one of the best, you know, innovative trends of, you know, of, of the last, you know, 10 years or so. So I think hash key, like, again, to my point is like, you know, different market participants in this space have to play different roles to help push the industry forward. And I think we're, we're trying to be, you know, the bridge to the, to the mainstream, right? So, you know, it does require a little bit of different, you know, different, you know, cultural interfaces. Well said, well said. Ben, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. People can check out Hashkey Group at hashkey.com. And Ben, thanks so much, buddy. Beautiful. Thanks, Johnny. Non-fungible tokens, Johnny. Non-fungible tokens. Couldn't we come up with like... I mean, NFT sounds cool. And I think people are investing just because NFT sounds like so, sounds so sexy, sounds so it's going to make money. But if if they, if they were just going around calling it a non-fungible token, I think this thing would be like, it wouldn't even be on the news at all. Yeah. I mean, literally, if you spelled it out, people think of it as a, a CC token, a Chuck E. Cheese yeah. token. Man, I, so a lot of learnings, but... I would say after that interview, I feel like it's confirmed in my head that this is a lot of hype and that I think there's a lot of good use cases for NFTs. And I, But the way I view this, both in terms of fungible tokens, FT and NFTs and blockchain, is that this is all just important infrastructure for the internet. If you, like, if you go back 20 years, it's almost like, it's almost like the dot-com or the dot co or the, you know, all these things that, that were created and now they're, they're, they're still there and they exist. Um, but it's, it's infrastructure basically. And some of that infrastructure has value, but most of it doesn't. It's like, it's like dot coms, like all the money is in dot com, you know, very little money in any of the other, uh, what do they call it? TLDs or something? Yeah. I mean, and the fact you know, that we don't even, we, we can't even really name what it is because I mean, sometimes .net is being used or, you know, .edu, yep. you know, .gov, you know, the, there's a place for everything. But in general, if we had spent a ton of money buying the, you know, .ios or the dot, you know, whatever, uh, I can't even, I, I literally, I can't even think of any other ones now. Yeah. .org. Yeah. yeah. .co. The, the, yeah. Dot net. That money would have been wasted. And it's actually a perfect example, Johnny, because one of the things that Ben was talking about with NFTs versus FTs being most, most cryptocurrencies is the liquidity issue with NFTs. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen is it, you can own a cool .co or .io name and you may have well spent $20,000 on it, but there's almost no liquidity in trying to resell that. Even like good .com names are, are difficult to sell nowadays. I mean, yeah, if you have like a college.com or some like just killer name, you're always going to have someone that's, that you're always gonna have some liquidity at, but for most there's a massive liquidity issue. And I think that's, what's going to happen with all these NFTs that are being sold on OpenSea right now is the gross majority of them. There's just not going to be any liquidity. And when somebody needs money 
to actually pay for life, they're going to have to sell that and the, the value is just not going to be there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. I think that cryptocurrencies in general, uh, NFTs, kind of the platform in general, there's a huge potential use case in the future. But I do think more than anything that this is absolutely a bubble. This is absolutely hype. There's no reason why anything with the word NFT associated to it should be selling for as much as it does. I mean, even like Budweiser just announced their uh, their NFTs. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. <laughs> they sold out within an hour and they created, uh, I don't remember if it was a few hundred or a thousand, you know, basically, I mean, everything NFT would add is basically just a, a photo of JPEG. It was a, you know, and there was, they sold for between five and $10,000. And just as a joke, I went to look at them and I was going to just like shop around and they were all sold out with it, like literally within <laughs> an hour. Uh, well, I went to this, when I was in Ireland a couple months back with my parents and we're in this very small town in Southwest of Ireland and we're walking down the street and there's a local artist store, local artist gallery. And he's got his pretty mediocre paintings of like the Irish countryside. And I was looking in the window and they're all priced at like 80 euros, 140 euros. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, that's kind of what's going on here, right? Like you're going to have all these artists that are creating all these things. And at the end of the day, like, the value of them is just going to be like, all right, sure. Like a hundred, a hundred euros or something. Cause I know the person that created it, or it's kind of cool to have one or two paintings and stuff, but there's really no, there's no value in, in any of this stuff. You're always going to have at the top people that want to collect and spend outrageous amounts of money for something unique, whether it's a, you know, think of anything like, you know, a magic card or a civil war rifle or whatever, like people will always be willing to pay. So you're going to have, anytime you have something new that's created and it's kind of interesting, you're going to have someone that pays an, a ridiculous outlandish amount of money to have that. It's an, it's a stroke to the ego. Right. But most of the stuff that's like just the, the lower hanging stuff, I think people are just going to be sitting on this stuff um, in, in 15 years and just being like, I don't know what to do with this anymore. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, looking at people's, you know, uh, addicts uh, at their parents' house, the yeah. collectible cards that they had or the mm-hmm. you know, stuffed animals, these are things that at one point were valuable or potentially valuable. And some of it has come back around where, you know, I, I, Beanie Babies may not have come back in value, but, you know, Pokemon cards or Magic the Gathering cards, you know, definitely have. So on one hand, there always is going to be some kind of collectible market. The, the problem is people's memories are very short where for every, you know, 999 things that people buy that are never sold uh, because they either have no value, which aren't worth the time selling or get lost. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's one thing that, you know, ends up being valuable and you're like, yeah, see, you know, it was, it was a smart idea to buy, uh, you, know, ma- you know, magic cards, but yeah. Was it a good idea to buy, you know, garbage pail kids cards or, you know, uh, you know, MLB, you know, tops cards, you know, you know, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Johnny, you know, I own like 10,000 baseball cards. In fact, that's what <laughs> I spent all of my money on from like year six of my life to like year 10. Every weekend I would go to the trade shows and I would take my allowance and whatever I got cutting lawns and picking up dog poop and I would go and buy uh, baseball cards and sets of baseball cards. It's all I wanted for Christmas and my birthday was baseball, baseball, baseball cards. I have boxes and boxes of baseball cards and you know, there's a ton of cards in there that are probably worth now like 10, $15. But for me to go in and 
facilitate selling all those like over the internet and shipping them and stuff. I'm just like, it's not even worth it, man. <laughs> like I'll just keep them and I'll pass them down to my kids or like, you know, a nephew or something one day and they can figure out what to do with it. Right. Oh God. <laughs> That's probably what's going to happen with a lot of, a lot of these NFTs. Yeah. I mean, my prediction is 99.9% of the NFTs are going to be just kind of burnt money, you know, money that kind of just got put aside for something that was a, you know, something that people got excited for, for a week. And then there was completely forget, you know, forget about, I, mm-hmm. I personally would never invest in any NFT, even though there is a potential that some of them, the short one, you know, might make a ton of money and some of them have, but I do like the the technology behind it. I do think there's going to be a future for it, but even, you know, even less than cryptocurrencies, do, do I think it's going to be an actual value? And that, that's why, because I want to participate somehow, uh, as I wrote in the Boss Lounge, oh, not the Boss Lounge, the uh, the Patreon group, uh, I've just bought Ether instead because that's what it's all built on. Yeah, it's a good point, Johnny. Very good point. I think uh, another way that you can play this stuff too is... Well, I don't know if it's directly related to NFTs, but what I thought was interesting was your conversation around the play to earn concept and talking about Blizzard a little bit. It's like, all right, how long until these games start trying to, or these these massive public gaming companies like Activision start trying to capitalize on some of the success of say Access Infinity, which is like a small, a tiny little Vietnamese startup that created a game and the, the company itself is worth like $10 million and has like, 10 employees or something, but the game that they created and the, the, the cryptocurrency that's, that's part of the play to win model has a market cap of like five, $6 billion. Right. And so the, one of the reasons that I put these different gaming companies in my metaverse portfolio was that exact reason. It's just kind of playing on two hopes. One is that you can imagine these different gaming companies that have created these incredible real life graphics, whether you're talking about like EA sports and some of the graphics in those, those sporting events or in any, any of the different types of, of games that are being played now. You can imagine that maybe they will own some of the environments in the metaverse in the day-to-day environments. Or you can imagine like EA sports, if, um, if sporting events ever go like, more fully into the metaverse and you're watching you're, you're watching a football game in the metaverse instead of a football game on live television which you could almost imagine if you think about it um they, they very well might might capitalize on on that somehow but also the play to earn model where if if access infinity can have success doing this why couldn't activision why couldn't ea sports and i, I know you guys touched on that it was a little bit of like the business model complications but i gotta believe that they're they're thinking very hard about developing play to earn um into their into their businesses yeah i i absolutely think that there is a possible use case for it um but at the same time we have to kind of differentiate between are people playing it just to try to earn or are they playing it because they actually enjoy the game because mm-hmm. when people play something just to earn it actually ruins the experience for everyone else who's yeah. actually you know enjoying the game um this is why people get mad when there's people call you know they're in diablo 2 just uh doing these low-level missions back and forth just to like just a farm and, and gain ex, you know xp or something mm-hmm. um i, I felt there, there was some other game out there that you know people loved and you know you had all these people from i think venezuela or somewhere that were it just turned into their full-time job or the Philippines. It just like, it was their job. Yeah. Yeah. Just to like play this game over and over again. Um, 
so I, I am curious what's going to happen in the future. Uh, but here's one thing that I kind of want to warn everyone against is like cycles change and games kind of change and you can be, you know, imagine if you spent, you know, literally thousands or ten, tens of thousands of hours leveling up your character in World of Warcraft, you know, and now you're level 266 mage with epic armor and it took you that much time to get. And at some point that that character was actually worth a, a a decent amount of you know real money you know that somebody can actually would buy from you because there was a marketplace for it that game i mean i don't know about world of warcraft in particular but a lot of games like that now nobody plays anymore so your character in sims or in um diablo 2 or in uh what, what is what what was that one uh, other life or you know whatever it was these characters that you second life yeah th- mm-hmm. these characters that used to be worth a lot of actual money nowadays are almost worthless because there's nobody's playing anymore people moved on to the new platforms that's right and you also have to keep in mind that we're still living in an, in a covid world where most people are still allowed to work from home you can't really travel and there's still quite a bit of people getting bailed out and or s- some type of stimulus checks to, to supplement their income. All that is fueling the metaverse and NFTs because people are simply have too much time in front of a computer screen each day and they have um, they have limited options of what they, they can do with their time. So I think when all that ends and we get back to somewhat of a normal, I think the, the, the excitement about this stuff is going to, it's going to fade. And I think at some point, you know, NFTs or, it, you know, I think we'll end up probably just calling it non-fungible tokens versus fungible tokens. And it will just end up being part, an important part of the infrastructure of the internet and what, what's coming in web three. And, and there'll be a couple of standout products that are built on, on it, but man, I'm, I'm here in Chiang Mai, Johnny, and there's a, there's massive like crypto crowds here that are, that are kind of congregating and focusing on projects. And there's, <laughs> I'm not saying that it's, it's happening through the groups here, but there's there's all these different like online chats and stuff. And there are all these um, these crypto crowds that are here. They're investing and participating in other projects. And dude, there's some there's just like there's scams everywhere. You know, like you get in these groups and you're like looking at one of these and then someone all of a sudden goes, oh, sorry, guys, it was it was a it was a scam. We did some research on it. It's like, you know, nothing checks out. And I've, like I've only been here for a week and there's already like every day there's whispers about a different scam, uh, both in NFTs and cryptocurrencies. So it's hot money. And there's, you know, fortunately, whenever you have something new like this, you have people that are going to jump on and, and take advantage of, of people, especially when you get to something that's as complicated as this stuff is. And I'm sorry, it's just, it's still very, very complicated. Yeah. Uh, a thousand percent. I mean, uh, if you think Chiang Mai is bad in Bali, there's a group selling NFTs where they promise you access to their private island. And yeah. it sounds exactly like the fire festival, but in uh, yeah. NFTs, yeah, it's un- right. undisclosed island, undisclosed. Like there's not, there's no like information, just like, you know, buy our NFT and then uh, we'll, we'll send you this secret invitation to our exclusive club. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you could basically do the same thing and say, hey, if you give us $100 cash, we'll invite you to our exclusive club. (laughs) It's like the same thing, right? But you guys touched on a couple of use cases, Johnny. And I think that there are some some interesting ones with like 
audio tracks and cer- certain creators that can mint a unique NFT and then like have traceability of that of all the future transactions so that they can make a fee on it. So that's us again, like infrastructure stuff. But it's still the 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 major use case for NFTs right now has been or seems to be digital art. Someone that's basically taking a JPEG, minting as an NFT, and then selling it quick. And I just wanted to to back up real quickly. Remember our episode with Masterworks. Derek interviewed their CEO and asked him specifically about NFTs and their view. And and he was you know basically 100% against NFTs. And it's not to say that it's disruptive to Masterworks business model and it's in his best interest to do so because Masterworks is now the biggest art buyer in the world. And for them to, for them to get into NFTs would be easy. You know, they, that could be a compliment to their business model, not a disruptor. They could easily get into NFTs and, and figure out with data as they have with physical art, how to, how to kind of corner that market and win that game. And, but they're, they're just, they're not touching it. Right. And I, I believe the same thing. Like, if, if Picasso was still around or take a world famous p- painter right now, the majority of the physical art take is going to be more valuable than the digital art. Maybe that changes in the future, but you know, if I, if I have a, a, the opportunity to put a Rembrandt on my wall or a Rembrandt on my computer screen, like I'm going to put it on my wall each day because this strokes the ego more in, in the physical world. Yeah. One million percent. I think this is a really good episode. I think this was uh, a lot of information on NFTs. If you guys enjoyed this, please share this with a friend or family member who is getting into NFTs or is just kind of curious about it. I I think this will help them a lot. Uh, Also, if you want to join our exclusive uh, Patreon group in there, Sam and I share our, what we invest in personally. And I actually just uh, shared what I'm doing with uh, Ethereum and what my plans are for there. Uh, exactly how much I've invested, what my buy and sell strategy is. So if you want to learn more, just go to patreon.com slash invest like a boss and you can join for as low as $5 a month and get access to our quarterly updates, uh, which are going to be coming up pretty soon at the end of the year. This has been, been an exciting year, so I'm excited to record that. Uh, Sam, sorry again for your place in Barcelona, but thank God that you're safe and that all these things can be replaced with the money that we've earned. That's right. Great episode, Johnny. Thanks for doing the interview with Ben. Really enjoyed that. Much more to come on NFTs. We also just last week published an episode on DeFi, decentralized finance. So more of this stuff coming out through the rest of the year. And thanks to everyone that filled out the survey for 2022 on how we can improve Invest Like a Boss. Uh, We got a lot of value out of that and more great stuff coming your way. Oh, yeah. And one of you guys who filled that out is going to be getting $50 in Bitcoin. So keep an eye out for an email on that. We'll announce the winner in the next episode. Without further ado, stay tuned to next week, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.